this is our Halloween special episode. Also, it seems like the only thing we're going to put out in October. Or did we get some out this at the beginning? Possibly. <laughs> I don't remember when the last one we released was. I don't either. It's been hard with the, just the transitioning to work and all that. Finding time. I know. We need to get. Because, like, school started for you. I got a full-time job about the same time. Yes. We Since need to we get. we aren't great at putting stuff out, I thought a longer holiday episode would be a good idea. Yeah. So, um, get ready for some spooky stories. <laughs> spooky tales. Do you want to hear a real-life spooky tale that I experienced a few weeks ago? Uh, yeah. So, we were in Springfield, Missouri. And we were surveying this area because they're, like, one of the creeks is under the city, and they Mm -hmm. want to open it back up because it helps with flooding, making it more natural again rather than an underground channel. Uh Um, And we had, one of the things we had to do, the very last thing we had to do was go find this old stone bridge. (laughs) Okay. Um, And they're like, so... There's there's this tunnel, and you can get down there. You totally can. This is what um, MoDOT, the Missouri Department of Transportation, told us. <laughs> like, you can get there. We go down there all the time. Like, you can definitely get down there. And we're like, I'm like, why don't you just go down there then instead of, like, us young females? Yeah. Thankfully, we had um, one, the, one of the older guys who works there was with us. So it wasn't just, like, otherwise it would have been me and this other girl. So two girls under, like, 25 and under. <laughs> going into this underground tunnel in the middle of the city of Springfield, which is not exactly it's not an unsafe city, but it's also like known for um human trafficking and drugs. Yeah. <laughs> and homelessness. All those things. Anyway, so we find a way down into this tunnel. We're walking through this tunnel. We have one flashlight. <laughs> a singular flashlight. We go down there. We find the bridge. The bridge is there. The bridge is intact. This tunnel is Honest to goodness, super cool. It has some really fun graffiti in it. Yeah. And the bridge is cool. And we get there, and we cannot get the flashes to work on either camera we had with us. And we couldn't get them to work specifically on, like, the architecture camera. And it was just, it was being weird. It, it, it sometimes is that way. Yeah. And I said, screw it. We've been in this tunnel too long at this point, struggling to get this thing to just take any photos, let alone photos with a flash. Uh, we'll use the worst camera. And as we finally get that one out and get the flash working on that, there's something that starts just, like, growling like a cat <gasps> further down the tunnel. Maybe it and was I, a cat. No, because it was large and human-like. And the other girl who was with us, she was like, yeah, if um, if I hadn't known it definitely wasn't a bear, I would have thought it was a bear because it was clearly coming from an animal that large. And since it definitely wasn't a bear, that had to mean it was a human. Or the devil. <laughs> or the devil itself. But either way, as I, so like you have one photo whoop, where it's clearly me trying to figure out where I'm shooting in the darkness uh-huh. with like the flash. And it has a very poor photo, but it's not like blurry. It's just poor because the yeah. light just is too li- little for the space. The space is too big. Um, and then the second photo I took is me turning to run <laughs> because it growled once slightly and then it growled much louder the second time and we all went and sped walk out because <laughs> we didn't want to slip in the creek right now it was really fun That's i have a video scary. of um of w- us walking through it but i don't i turned it off before the sound started That's unfortunately i still want to see it oh yeah i'll show you the video heck we might share the video i don't know
Nothing says you can't go into that tunnel. I'm not saying go into that tunnel. Uh, it's not necessarily safe at all. <laughs> but, like, me showing what's in there shouldn't be inappropriate. Yeah. It was really fun, though. It made me excited. Like, I like my job in general, but that made me really excited to do my job. Yeah. <laughs> Just like when I came across that... uh that bed and breakfast it says open but definitely hasn't been open in you know that was funny 20 years <laughs> overgrown and dilapidated you want to stay there we'll go stay there make a video know. out of it they say it's open <laughs> so like i said this is our halloween special so it's gonna be probably way longer than normal um i'm hoping we don't have to put it in two parts but I guess we'll see. Yeah. Who knows? Um, but yeah. Ready? Spooky time. Okay. So I'm going to go first. I'm going, I'm covering Spooky Hollow. Okay. Near, uh, Rolla in St. James, Missouri. Okay. I'm not covering, like, all of it, all of it. Just the stuff that I knew was there already from, like, people who are from down there telling me about it. Yeah. Like, I have friend, a friend who's from St. James who told me about these stories to know that I should tell these stories. Otherwise, I never would have known about them. Mm-hmm. Um, so my sources are American Ghost Stories, Wikipedia, the Snelson Brinker Foundation, um, executedtoday.com, my favorite website. I like that. And a Prezi made by Jeffrey Barger. I don't know Jeffrey Barger. His Prezi was just online. He clearly is, like, a guy who's, like, from around Spooky Hollow area yeah. who, like, had to do a presentation. So might as well do it on the, like, creepy local legend. That's funny. <laughs> um, so Spooky Hollow is an isolated region between Rolla and St. James, Missouri. And it's practically, like, a single road going down into, like, a peninsula of one of the of the dry fork which i think is like a tributary to the merrimack river mm-hmm. um the so one of the things that happens there there are phantom cars that are reported 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 so, <laughs> there are phantom cars that are reported um speeding down the road only to like disappear over a hill and like you know there's it no more me. lights or sound or anything like that after that which is you know not it is entirely me. normal um Film photos taken in the area are said not to develop, and camera flashes are said to stop working. I can relate. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I believe in all that, because... No, it was it was truly a combination of user error, and the camera is just wonky when, it was, when we were in well, that Well, that's tunnel. the thing, is it's like every time... Like, sometimes even my phone just doesn't want to take a picture mm-hmm. because it's kind of older, mm-hmm. so it's slow. Yeah. And it's and it, like, like they don't like doing things when they have to adjust to weird light is settings. Is it just because I'm stressed out that I'm stressing out my camera, or is the devil or I'm forgetting it to do work? simple things like press the flash button? Yeah, <laughs> which was part of the issue when we couldn't get. It I know because like, it always the flash freaks button. me out whenever my camera doesn't work. But I'm like, it's literally just because I'm trying to rush it, mm-hmm. and yeah. so it just doesn't want to do what I want it to do. Um, where am I? Okay, so but like battery dying different that's a little bit more suspicious it's very strange if it's if it's just oh the flash isn't like battery battery suddenly being like fully drained that Mm -hmm. creeps me out um 
Pine Hill Cemetery is located in Spooky Hollow. It's like the very end of a one-way, not one-way road, but like, you know, dead-end road. It's the, it's the thing at the de- end end of the dead-end road in, in the peninsula. There's not even like an option for other roads to get there because the creek is yeah. surrounding it on three sides. Um, and across from the cemetery is an old abandoned school bus where people have reported seeing glowing red eyes that shine through the broken windows. Um... And on the source that was talking about this, they're like, but also it could just be like weird light refracting through said broken windows that just, yeah. you know, everyone thinks is supernatural because they've decided this area is spooky. Um, I was like seeing that on my sources immediately, like debunking things. Yeah. <laughs> or it could be haunted. Who knows? Um, so local lore says that the bus found its way to its, you know, now permanent location. Um when it was driving down the road full of 20 children and suddenly a shadowy figure appeared in the road and the bus swerved off and to avoid it and crashed into a tree. Oof. Um, according to the story, nobody died. Was it a school bus? Yes, yeah, a school bus. Okay. It's a school bus. It had 20 kids in it and I guess the driver and then it crashed. Um, again, this is just the story as to how it got there. I don't think this happened because no news articles talk about this happening. Yeah. And I think a news article would talk about 20 kids in a bus crashing. Yeah. Either way, according to the story, the kids were okay. It wasn't like a bad crash. It was just a crash. Yeah. Um, I don't know why there would have been a school bus with 20 kids either. Because, again, it's this dead-end road. The only thing at the end of the road is the cemetery. So either it was driving to or from the cemetery, and neither of those things make sense to have a whole bunch of children going there. Because it's not like a special cemetery. It's not like... What famous people are buried there or something? Just yeah, it's a field average. trip or something. Yeah, there's no field trip <clears throat> excuse for this location. Um. So, hold on. But yeah, I'm I'm pretty positive it was just dumped off there and not like just some, there was an old bus and somebody dumped it. Yeah. There's there's also a story that a vagrant psychopath used to live in the bus. Um, okay. But I'm, I'm here for this one. I'm thinking he just, you know, was like a van lifer and his bus broke down. Or he just really wasn't into, like, the nomadic aspect of van life and just chose that location and not often used road where, where he wouldn't be bothered. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's entirely possible that someone used to live in the bus. Why not? Why not? Free home. Um, so, but the... One of the primary attractions, I think, honestly, the primary attraction of Spooky Hollow is the Goat Man. Um, so the legend of, of goat men are common. There's sightings across the U.S. All these goat men seem to be pretty similar. They're, you know, upper, bottom half goat, upper half man, but goat head. It's so like yeah. people torso, goat legs, and feet, <laughs> goat head. Wait, they're standing upright, right? They're standing upright on the back legs, yeah. I'm picturing like on two goat's <laughs> Oh god. Like a goat's legs. back legs and like just like the bottom half, all four legs, and then like a human torso sticking up with like the head and human arms. Like a naked person. Butt. Like a weird centaur <laughs> yeah. thing. No. No, it's like on two Even legs. though like I feel I know what like, the goat man looks like because like I've a seen fawn, pictures, but, but in with... my head when the way you described it, I was just like Does he look different than the other goat man? No, he's a goat man. <laughs> Um, He's standing upright. So according to the local lore, the Goatman of St. James is um, the offspring of a witch who was worshipping Satan, and then the witch is supposedly buried in Pine Hill Cemetery, the cemetery that 
was across the street from the bus. Okay, well, what's her name? That's all they tell me, Audrey. <laughs> it's one of those local, very low-effort local legends. <laughs> so, um, it's said that he's been seen a number of times at Pine Hill Cemetery and is viewed as its protector. He okay. doesn't seem to be, like, negative. Um... So while people think it is him who accidentally caused this bus to crash, if the bus crash story was true, that's that's who some people like to say the shadow figure was, was the goat man. Um, was it the shadow of a goat? No, they just said it was a shadowy figure. And again, I don't think the whole okay, event well, happened at all. So. <laughs> well, at least be real about it instead of saying, well, I saw a shadow, so I think it was goat man. And then you say, okay, why? I don't know. But they, I think it's just... They're connecting, they're connecting two stories because they can. Right. Um, anyway, so the other goat men who are seen across the U.S. are known to be, like, associated with death or even kill people themselves or, like, physically attack others. Mm -hmm. But this one isn't known for doing that, though some people say he did kidnap some of the children on the bus. Okay. <laughs> um, but then other people say that the pa some parents of the children removed some of the children from the bus and went and sacrificed them in the cemetery and that those parents in the town? parents parents lived in the local Snelson Brinker cabin which we'll get to later okay um they lived there all together they're just the, just like that set of parents i assume it's like two parents okay <laughs> you know like a mom and a dad and yeah. they took i don't know if it's their kids or somebody else's kids off this crash bus i don't know um, again, it's another not true story. It's just a legend. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, this is all that's, it's just, it's just nonsense. I think it's just true, all, all truly nonsense made up by bored rural people so trying to make Halloween stories to entertain themselves. So your Halloween tales are just like. No, it's not. Just what? the, just the goat man is. Oh, okay. The next okay, part's okay. very, very real. Okay. <laughs> I was gonna say, so all, are all of yours like folklore? No, no, just this first one. I just okay. want to do this area. I'm literally covering just this spooky yeah. hollow. Um, but yeah, I, there. I think they're all there's. There's no news articles about dead children or buses crashing. Um, the Snelson Brinker cabin has a very, very specific and well recorded history. There was no bonus parents that lived there and sacrificed children in the cemetery. There is, however, um, a child that lived at the Snelson Brinker cabin who was killed in the 1830s, um, and we will cover her story once I finish the Goatman. Okay. So there's no photo evidence of the Goatman, obviously, because no nobody's cameras work. <laughs> um, but for some reason, work when you just want to take normal photos of the bus or the cemetery or the Snelson Brinker cabin. But if it's the Goatman, nope. Brave. cameras don't work in, in spooky hollow then um the main thing that's reported of him is his footprints again no photos of these um the prints are supposed to be larger than that of a uh, bear and are in no way humanoid so therefore it's not bigfoot i think they're just like giant goat prints <laughs> interesting inhuman voices are reported to emanate from the cemetery um so that's fun and creepy mm -hmm. um and people who visit the cemetery and are disrespectful while there report burn marks on their clothes and scorch marks on their arms and legs. Um, which, I mean, I would assume the goat man caused as he's supposed to be the protector and they're there vandalizing. 
Yeah. And so I guess I would consider that means the goat man does attack, but only with just cause. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um. The last thing to note about this area, specifically with the goat man in the cemetery, is that there is a local man who's known to take action to scare off trespassers. Okay. So he's he's believed to be responsible for like the speeding vehicles and um things like that, just doing activities to scare off hoodlums who um in this area I mean, I are genuinely dangerously destructive, and we'll find out about that at the end of the Snelson Brinker cabin story. Okay. So the Snelson Brinker cabin, which is the really it's the truly interesting thing in um in this Spooky area. Hollow. Yes. Because it's true (laughs) these things happened and are real um so between st james and steelville missouri is the snelson brinker cabin or i better say was the snelson brinker cabin um it was originally like the keddy cabin murders no well like it's not there anymore but everybody still goes um no we'll get to why it's not there anymore okay Originally, it was built by Levi Lane Snelson in February of 1834, and it served as the Crawford County Courthouse in 1836. So I think it's the it was the earliest courthouse in the county. Okay, which makes it like historically, historically. It's like right off the back, historically significant. Yeah. Um. So in 1837, John V. Brinker buys the cabin so that's why it's nelson brinker because they were such a quick exchange um the brinker family had a slave girl named mary she was about 13 in 1837 she was originally owned by abraham brinker of potosi missouri who's of some relation to john brinker i didn't bother to look into it but yeah. they have the same last name <laughs> Um, she was described in the records as mulatto, which is of mixed race of African European ancestry. Okay. Which um, indicates that she may or may not be related, related to, to John. Them. Yeah. <laughs> as and like it could be as close as a sister, depending on who Abraham is. Yeah. In 1833, Abraham was killed by Native Americans, and his slaves were inherited by John. Um, which means he very well may have had more than just Mary, but only Mary's ever talked about. But yeah. it's a, his, it said Abraham's slaves were inherited by John, but only Mary's talked about. Okay. Um, so the Brinkers have a young daughter who's born in May of 1835. Her name is Vienna Jane and Mary, who was said to be, and this is in newspapers, um, Mary is described as being shrewd and remarkably fond of children. <laughs> so she was the baby's babysitter, nanny, mother, figure, you know, just the primary yeah. caretaker of this of this baby, Vienna Jane. In May 14, on May 14th, 1837, Sarah Brinker, who's John's wife and Vienna's mother, um, who just had her second child, I think it's name the baby's name was Sarah. Um she sent Mary off to gather firewood, and it said that Mary took Vienna with her. No, but after this, I mean, I I assume no one's on Mary's side to make sure the story's being told right. 
for mm -hmm. newspapers in history. Also, it could be the other. Who knows? Who knows? I don't know anymore. I just know things did happen, and some of it definitely is true. <laughs> um. So anyway, Mary's going down into the woods to collect firewood. Vienna is going with her. So Mary later returns to the cabin with the wood, um, but Vienna is not with her. And when asked where the baby is, she says she does not know. Um, I mean, she's 13. Yeah. <laughs> Even if it's been her job since the baby's born, she's still 13. <laughs> Um, so John Brinker gathers two neighbors, William Blackwell and Thomas Shirley, to help find his daughter, which is crazy to me that his first thought was immediately go gather neighbors and not just, like, go look for his baby really quick. Yeah. Um, he How old is get people. Kid? The kid's two. Okay. Almost two. Like, okay. like, like a week shy of two. Um, so they go out and they search and they find Mary's footsteps leading down to the stream, which is located 2,000 feet from the house it's like where they get their water yeah and where they gather their firewood and other things right like known location to go it's not like a surprise that they went down to this the creek yeah like the creek is the same distance as grandma and grandpa's house is from the park yeah that's how far <laughs> so at the stream um though it is unclear if mary's footsteps are anywhere nearby where this is um Shirley finds Vienna's body with blunt force trauma to her right temple. Dang. So the baby is dead in the creek. Yeah. Um, again, no one says whether or not Mary's footsteps led to this location. They just say they found Mary's footsteps leading to the creek. <laughs> that does not mean it led to Vienna. Yeah. And this baby's so close to the house. Again, why would you just go get... Why would you go get people first? Why would you just go do a brief look over yeah, your property? You just look out your back and like see something. I mean, you can't. You should. I don't know if they would have been able to see the creek from their house, but I assume there are fewer trees. They're on top of that. The cabin's on top of a hill. The creek is on. That's the bluff to the creek. So it could have been cleared, and they could have been able to see the creek. I don't know. I can't. I. That's only speculating on what they could or could not see. Either way, it's not that far away. He should have been able to find her on her own on his own. They obviously immediately suspect Mary, like the men do. Uh -huh. So, for me, if Mary killed Vienna, I don't know why. And no one ever says why. No one ever gives a motive as to why. I mean, they give suspected motives. And I don't mean the courts or the newspapers at the time. I mean, like, historians and such looking into the case after. Yeah. It's, they, there's no historic, historically specific motive. There's no of-the-time court ruling of why she would have killed this baby um but like historians speculate that because again she, she's been the caretaker of this child since it was uh -huh. born this is her baby essentially um so there are a number of things that people have said might be the reason that mary did this um one is that mary was never quite normal um, that she had some sort of neurodevelopmental disorder mm -hmm. and, but, but was always very sweet with Vienna. Like that goes on record in like the newspapers and all that too. They talk, yeah. when they talk about how Mary was with Vienna, they were, she, that she, she loved this baby. 
Um, but some think that when Sarah had her second baby, Mary couldn't quite handle it and snapped. Like maybe it was too much because again, she's 13. And especially if there was any neurodevelopmental disorders with it. Yeah. Just couldn't quite hand, didn't know how to handle all the stress and pressure. Who knows? She's not living an ideal life by, by yeah. any means. <laughs> um, alternatively, there was an accident. Um, like maybe she being fell a, her head? well, yeah, one, the baby could have fallen and hit her head or, and like drowned slightly too. And that combo killed her or even like Mary's carrying a pile of wood that she's bringing out of the house, turns around, smacks the baby in the head. Uh-huh. Or smacks the baby because it's being annoying while she's trying to do her work and hits her a little too hard in the wrong spot. <laughs> do we have to let them solve heads? No, they're little and she's a child <laughs> yeah. taking care of a baby. <laughs> um, I mean, I was babysitting when I was 13 well, and I never I know, but killed still. any kids. So. Yeah, there are plenty of things that don't mean that there's so many things that could have happened that by no means meant that Mary killed this baby at all. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no no matter what, what happens next to Mary is just very unfair of the system as a whole. Well, because they have, they have no proof. So when the men return with Vienna's body, Mary is immediately tied to a log by William Blackwell. So while being tied to the log, with these threats of being um, whipped, Mary admits, so obviously under duress, yeah. that she threw the end into the stream and beat her with a stick to stop her from surfacing. Um, and that's what it says. It doesn't say that there was, like, any... That she didn't strike her at first in the head and then push her into the creek and then try to get her under. Like, there's no great explanation for the blunt force based on yeah. Mary's initial forced testimony. Um, especially since it only says there's blunt force trauma to the right side of her temple. They don't report anything else on her being beat up. But, like, other, multiple, just being beat over and over again would be notable, I'd think. Um, so she repeats a similar confession to Simeon Frost, who's the local justice of the peace. Mm-hmm. Um, not the same, similar and they don't tell me what that particular confession was. Mary is charged with first-degree murder and is put in the Potosi jail. She is tried in August of that same year, and but she is at least provided with three court-appointed attorneys. She has some representation. Yeah, that's nice. Um, I don't know how good it was or was not, but she had she had it. <laughs> it's better than nothing. She's found guilty and sentenced to hanging September 30th of. 1837 in Steelville, Missouri. She um, she appeals. The appeal is successful. She has tried a second time, and she is found guilty again. Um, she is hanged in Steelville, August 11th, 1838. The it's important to note that local newspapers, um say mary is 13 maybe 14 Uh the court documents list her as 16 (laughs) Uh, 
I was gonna um, say, what is? Can you even like the court documents list her as sixteen? Legally kill someone who's that age? The trial judge James Evans explicitly instructed the jury to judge Mary as if she were above the age of criminal responsibility. Which is what? Which was fourteen at the time. Either way, Meaning, she was she was gonna cut it close. Either way, she's cutting but, it yeah. close. But the way he's saying that means she's not. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, she's under. <laughs> like yeah. she's definitely thirteen or younger, even. Um. By that, I. And he he specifically does say that she is essentially mentally mature enough to know better, even even though she's definitely younger. Is mm-hmm. what he's saying by yeah. saying that, um, which I disagree with. The, the rule is fourteen for a reason, and even that's so young. <laughs> um, Mary is considered to be the youngest person ever executed in the state of missouri uh-huh um to this day <laughs> well i would hope i mean it wasn't good I, that she got killed but i would hope they wouldn't kill anybody younger no i like... understand that but that's also saying because it's not at the age of 16 that she's considered that it's because they know that she wasn't 16 yeah um yeah so that's the story of mary uh-huh so that's not the end of this Nelson Brinker cabin story, though. <laughs> so between the death of Vienna and Mary's execution, like literally in between, like when it happened yeah. to when when she was executed, the Brinker cabin experienced another portion of America's long list of horrible historic events. On December 5th, 1837, a detachment of Cherokee traveling from Charleston, ten- Tennessee, arrived at their cabin. So on December 5th, 1837, a detachment of Cherokee traveling from Charleston, Tennessee, arrived at the Snelson Brinker cabin. 360 Cherokee and their military escort, U.S. Army Lieutenant B.B. Cannon, camped at the Brinker cabin and along the banks of the Merrimack River, about 6,000 feet from the cabin. Eventually, 10,000 Cherokee would pass by following the um, northern route of the Trail of Tears. Mm-hmm. It is said that a number of Cherokee did not survive that first night on the property mm-hmm. after traveling beyond the limits of human endurance <laughs> um, and were buried near the cabin or possibly even in the family cemetery where Vienna and eventually her baby sister Sarah, a soldier, and some members of the Houston family are laid to rest. There's, uh. there's a cemetery on the property still yeah. with their all these all these people's stones um the houston family buys the cabin in 1852 and own it for 85 years i don't know what happens after that um actually i think i think it was listed but it wasn't interesting enough to include yeah (laughs) anyway um july 4th 2017 the cabin is burned down by vandals there are those vandals that i said are just too destructive (laughs) um and the Snelson Brinker Cabin, no, the Snelson Brinker Foundation is currently working on rebuilding it using the significant number of photo, do- significant amount of photo documentation that exists of both the interior and exterior of the building. Yeah. Um, this next part, I don't know if I'm allowed to say, but I think I can because I think it's like published. But they've been using ground penetrating radar to look for burials from the Trail of Tears. Hmm. And that's that's why I know about this cabin and this location and this story is because yeah. I helped with that. I got to run the little machine. <laughs> yeah. 
got to run the GPR. So I've, I've seen, you know, Vienna and her sister's tombstones. And I've seen the burnt out cabin. And it's it's neat there. It has an odd feeling. Yeah. <laughs> but it's neat there. Um, so there's some, like, paranormal reports. But I don't. They aren't very interesting. Yeah. It's like, I mean, because obviously with such a number of negative events happening at that cabin, um, you know, people are going to make up paranormal stories or go there seeking them at least and then experiencing what they want to. Yeah. Um, But like the extent is like people feel like they're being watched inside the cabin and they get orbs photographed occasionally. Like that's it. Yeah. (laughs) Um. The uh, true haunts of the cabin were not the paranormal, but rather the vandals and hoodlums who would go there and hang dolls from fake nooses on the trees or from the cabin rafters. That's terrible. Who did that? Just bored people, locals, vandals and hoodlums go hang dolls from fake nooses on the trees and the cabin rafters because of what happened to Mary. (laughs) Yeah. They would practice satanic rituals in the cabin. They at one point hung a dead goat from the rafters. Typical. Um, They vandalized the cemetery and eventually burnt down the cabin. The news articles initially said it was fireworks. Um, Anybody who knows the area said no. (laughs) (laughs) And that's that's the Snelson Brinker cabin. But it it was really cool to be able to work there and see it and... Yeah feel it it's always nice to have been to a place that's being talked about that's the first true crime place i've been to like actually been to not just like casually been to the bread co that was also the scene of a murder (laughs) um but yeah the 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 person i know who lives down there had a whole list of just like locations that had local lore attached to them because the people are just so bored down there yeah that's a way to entertain yourself on, you know, the weekends and the evenings, you know. <laughs> Makes sense. I get it. Yeah. So while the uh, most of the paranormal lore is just, honest to goodness, low effort, a truly bad thing happened there. Mm-hmm. Actually, two truly bad things happened there. Yeah. How'd the baby die? I don't remember. I think it was normal baby death things. Okay. So, I'm not going to say my sources yet, because I'm trying to keep it a surprise for as long as possible. <laughs> it's literally just the first sentence that I'll, that'll give it away, and then I'll do my sources. Okay. Um, so, on December 26th, 1973, audiences waited in long lines for the most anticipated movie, The Exorcist. So, <laughs> I'm going to be doing the real-life story of... Um, the actual exorcism that happened that basically made this movie, I guess, or the movie's based off of whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, the one that dad's like, oh, yeah, we drove by that all the time as yeah. a kid. <laughs> drove by what? The house. Oh. Or something like He's talked about driving by say, multiple times. The house. It's probably the hospital. No, the house. The house is on the other side of 170. Yeah. He definitely said he's gone by it multiple times. It's not times. in, like, a safe area. No. But remember, um, he's older and areas used to be safe. Yeah, that's true. 
Yeah, that used to be a nice neighborhood. I don't mm-hmm. know if it is It was a very nice neighborhood. But I am going to go drive there this week and take a picture in front of it. Um, So we can post that with our Halloween posts. But we're also going to uh, do the announcement. Probably, I think I'll uh, put out tomorrow. That would make sense. The video. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so I got my information from history.com, stltoday.com, all that's interesting.com. The Exorcism of Roland Doe documentary, which is on Discovery Plus. The case study, it's from fox4kc.com. Mm-hmm. And then onlyinyourstate.com. So let's start. Um, so those of you who don't know, which if you're listening to this podcast, I just would assume you do know. The Exorcist is about, the like the movie, is about a girl possessed by an evil spirit, and the movie went on to earn a reputation as one of the scariest movies in history. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the documentary they talk about, like, the reasons, because it plays on everybody's, like, fear of the devil and yeah. being possessed and whatever. Um, so, in the documentary, The Exorcism of Roland Doe, um, Father Vincent Lampert, an exorcist priest from the Archdiocese of Indianapolis, said, I would say that everything in the movie can actually happen because the devil will play on a person's memory and imagination. So, head spinning, pea soup flying, people crawling up the wall (laughs) like a spider, levitation, whatever it is. All of these things are possible. So, that makes it freakier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I got most of my information from the documentary, just because it's hard to, like, read. Sorry. It's hard to, like, read off of so many of, like, the same things, just saying the same stuff, instead mm-hmm. of, like, listening and taking notes from that. But I took, like, notes from everywhere. It took me over five hours to get these notes done, so. (laughs) After the release of the movie, the Catholic Church noticed a spike in attendance. Um, Many people came (laughs) forward and told the church that they thought they needed an exorcism. Uh, (laughs) At the time of the movie's release, many people did not know that the movie was actually loosely based off a true story of the real-life horror of a 13-year-old boy from Maryland. So let's get into the real story. So William Peter Blatley, who wrote the Exorcist book, which was published in 1971 and the movie is based off of, was a student at Georgetown University. He was an English major at the time and at least one of the Jesuits, Jesuits, I just butchered it, who he knew at Georgetown. Um, was aware of the real story of the exorcism of Roland Doe and told him about it. Um, so while at school, William had access to a lot of documents that had to do with possession and exorcism, um, and like other spooky stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And he kept newspaper clipping, newspaper clippings from Washington, D.C. about the boy just outside of Georgetown who was possessed by the devil. Um, so the book and movie only tell, like, half of the mm-hmm. story, which is more than most loosely based movies nowadays. Um, but also there wasn't a lot of information that anyone could have gotten 
yeah. to have the full story until like years after it happened, mm-hmm. like more than just the seventies. So, oh yeah, here's literally my next point. Says years after the release of the book and movie, a diary had been found that reveals chilling details of the real exorcism case that happened over seventy years ago. In early January 1949, in Cottage City, Maryland, lived Roland Doe, which is a fake name for privacy, and his two parents. A lot of people that he went to school with and his former friends described him as being hyper and kind of troublesome. Um, He wasn't necessarily a bad student. He just had trouble focusing, so he might have had ADHD. That's what I put (laughs) literally in parentheses, ADHD, Uh question mark. Um, He's also literally just a... 13 year old boy mm-hmm. they all cause trouble for no reason and they none of them want to focus because nobody likes school so <laughs> he might have just been straight up normal and people just thought he was he might have been the class clown and that's why everybody was like oh troublesome mm-hmm. um so roland had a close bond with his aunt tilly who lived in st louis missouri tilly dabbled in spiritualism um which is a belief in communicating with the dead. That's what it says in the documentary. I'm sure there's a lot more than just that. Mm-hmm. Um, I just didn't do more research into it because it's just already super long. So she had taught Roland how to speak to spirits through a pro- popular board game, the Ouija board. Oh, no. Um, I think he used to spend, like, summers with her. Yeah. Because I don't know... I mean, she probably did come to visit at, like, some point, but I think they went and, like, visited her, um, and that's when they would mess with spirits and everything. hmm So, many people believe that Roland and Tilly using the Ouija board was the invitation for the demon to possess Roland and start, like, interacting in their mm-hmm. life and everything. On January 15th, 1949, it all began at the family home. Um, Roland's mother heard what sounded like scratching noises coming from inside the walls. So she told her husband and he had someone come out and check to make see if it was like rats or some kind of animal inside the house. Um, and they didn't find any signs of animals. So they think maybe Roland was just acting up to get attention. But as time went on, Roland's mother started to think that the house was haunted. Hmm. At least she isn't just like, there's that noise again. (laughs) She's like, maybe there's something wrong here. Um, On January 26th, 1949, the family receives news that Aunt Tilly has died. And soon after her death, Roland and his mom start to hear different noises. And the activity, like, majorly, like, picks up in the house. And this time, they were only coming from his bedroom. So they hear sounds of what seems to be, like, troops marching towards Roland's bed. That's weird. Knocks and bangs on the walls. Um, And whenever, like, the bangs happened for the very first time, the mom yelled out, Tilly, if that's you, knock three times. And right after this, they claimed they heard three knocks. Um... So after that, they just thought the activity was Aunt Tilly visiting them from the afterlife. Mm-hmm. They didn't think it was, like, anything malicious because yeah. it wasn't anything. But also, like, something malicious would pretend to be Aunt Tilly for sure. Exactly. But they don't know that. So I... Something that I thought about whenever I was... Because I watched this documentary twice. Mm-hmm. 
And something I thought about the second time was that if most of the activity that was happening in the house happened after Tilly died, yeah, maybe she had been possessed, mm-hmm. and that's what killed her, because mm-hmm. I never found out how she died. Yeah. And after she died, that whatever possessed her found Roland uh-huh. and attached to him because they had both been opening up it, portals. It, yeah, it could very well have attached to her while they were opening up But no one together. said on any of the documentaries, no one said it online, yeah. and I'm just like, this seems like something that's very possible to me, and something that's very, like, spooky if that is what happened, because, like, as far as I know, it doesn't say he was, like, playing with the Ouija board at home or, like, doing any of that stuff at home, uh-huh. so, like, why all of a sudden would this randomly just happen? Unless like, he inherited the Ouija board when she died, and that's why. That's what I'm saying. That's room. what I'm saying. Like, maybe it has something to do with her death. Like, mm-hmm. anyway. Um, Roland's classmates would even begin to witness strange things happening around him at school. While he was in class, some of his books would fly off the desk. Papers oh. would fly across the room. And on a few occasions, his desk would actually move across the floor. But all the teachers just thought these things were him acting up. Even uh-huh. though he swore... He wasn't. Um, as the behavior escalates, Roland stops going to school. Um, I'm assuming he probably got in trouble, maybe even, like, expelled, because they mm-hmm. thought he just kept doing this. Yeah. Um, after this, every evening, he would burst into frenzied fits and would get woken up by a rattling bed and reoccurring nightmares of evil spirits. hmm this worries his parents, so they decide to take him to a doctor. They think maybe these issues are coming because of an illness mm-hmm. or, like, maybe epilepsy or something with, like, the thrashing and, yeah, you know, everything that's like fair. that. Um, the doctors didn't find anything physically wrong with Roland, so his parents take him to a psychiatrist and psychologist, thinking maybe he has some type of mental issues, um, like manic depression or schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. Um, and even like a psychiatrist was saying that even childhood trauma or current trauma, um, can sometimes mimic signs of demonic possession. Yeah. Um, I like but that once they tried to get him help though. Yes. That's, that's nice <clears throat> to see that it wasn't just like, Oh, he's crazy. Get the Let's exorcist. Yeah. <laughs> um, so once again, they found nothing wrong with Roland. They described the boy as normal, but high strung. Which, if these things were happening to me, I would be too. Mm-hmm. Roland's parents then turned to their minister because they didn't know what else to do. They tried all the medical things they could do. Um, Reverend Luther Miles Schultz, um, the pastor at St. Steve Stephen's Evangelical Lutheran Church. Um, so the reverend happened to be very interested in parapsychology, which is when abnormal things are happening around a person and by some mechanism we don't understand, internal turmoil is expressed externally. Mm-hmm. So um, the reverend wondered if maybe ghosts known as poltergeists could be wreaking havoc in Roland's home. And then I think we all know what a poltergeist is, but I put in the definition. I don't know why. A poltergeist (laughs) is energy that causes things to happen. Objects moving around, lights turning off and on, doors opening and Mm -hmm. closing, you know, pots and pans thrown through your kitchen, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know why I need to say something like that. 
the reverend wanted to observe him outside of the home because he wanted to be able to rule out if something was happening just inside the home. So the reverend made an arrangement for Roland to come spend the night at his house. So his wife slept in the guest room and it was the like, what is this? The 50, the 49s, fifties, the 49s. Um, so the, the husband and wife slept in two separate beds in the same room, you know, the twin bed situation. Oh yeah. You know, <laughs> love, true love. love. <laughs> uh, then again, it's, um, it's nice to have a bed to yourself. <clears throat> that's true. That's true. <laughs> so his wife slept in the guest room. So Roland and the Reverend could be in the same room. Um, they got into their separate beds, and almost as soon as the lights turned off, the bed started vibrating. Ew. Roland's did. Um, he thought it was a prank at first, so he told Roland to try sleeping in the armchair on the other side of the room. Mm-hmm. And after a few minutes, the chair starts shaking, and it starts to move so violently that the chair tips over and knocks Roland onto the floor. Gosh. Still trying to figure out how these things are happening, the Reverend takes um, one of the mattresses from the beds and lays it on the ground because if he's like somehow has rigged, something yeah rigged to the bed so the furniture item yeah so he has Roland try to sleep there and a few minutes into him lying down the mattress starts to slide around on the floor ew. and he slides under the bed ew um and then the mattress starts to bounce up and down which Without causes him Roland's on it, so face he's... no oh okay which causes Roland's face to smash into the bed springs um oh. needless to say neither of them got much sleep that night. How has that kid been getting any sleep? I don't know. So, Roland returned home the next day, and after that, four nights in a row, Roland received three scratches on his body um, for four nights in a row. I said that really weird. Mm-hmm. Um, at this point, his parents and Reverend all know that this can't be some illness or disorder because yeah. that's not right. Um I guess they didn't think maybe he was harming himself, Mm -hmm. which is possible, but, you know. Um, But they all just agree that there is most likely something demonic happening. So the Reverend said that this war was from something he could... This war? I don't know what this is meant to say. (laughs) The The Reverend didn't think this was something he could deal with himself. So he suggested the family take him to see a Catholic priest because they were more known to deal with possessions. Yeah, demonology like, was much more up their alley. Yeah. Um, so his parents reach out to Father Albert Hughes, um, an assistant priest at St. James Catholic Church. Um, when Roland came to see him, the priest reported that the temperature in the room became extremely cold and he saw the phone go sliding across the desk. And Roland said, why bother me, you priest of hell? (laughs) So Father Hughes (laughs) senses an evil presence in the boy and believes that the devil is possessing the boy. Now, I don't know if it was just because he came up to a priest and And said that. And immediately said that, like that was the first impression. Yeah, (laughs) or like if more happened that he like felt there was something going on. Which, I mean, those occurrences are strange, but... You know. So, Father Hughes contacts Archbishop... Archbishop? Archbishop? Archbishop. Arch... I'm not a Catholic. Uh, anyway, Archbishop Patrick O'Doyle? O'Boyle? 
of Washington, D.C. <laughs> um, anyway. <laughs> he thinks Roland needs an exorcism. So, after being told everything about Roland, the Archbishop decided that it would be okay to go ahead and perform an exorcism on him. Apparently, it takes, like, a lot of convincing of, like, an Archbishop or, like, someone high up in the Catholic Church to yeah. actually be able to perform an exorcism on someone. Mm-hmm. Which I guess I didn't really know. I just thought you could... Didn't I mean, Ghost Nelly. Adventures... Oh, you made, want one? Let's Ghost go Ghost Adventures one. made me think that their little pastor boy that they have just goes and does exorcisms I mean, just I think because. he does just go do exorcisms just because. He might not be Catholic. I don't remember. That might be what it is. Yeah, it could be. Um, other people might do it different. But apparently, Catholics need proof before you just pray over someone rudely. Because that's really what an exorcism seems like to me. <laughs> Screaming at someone about the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, which is just like Not a even Sunday to teach service. you about it. A just, Sunday just... service, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Accept the Lord and yep. Savior. Well, I over do it for you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I should be a voice actress. Because <laughs> um, that is exactly like it. Um, so sometime between February 27th and March 6th, Father Hughes reportedly admits Roland to Georgetown Hospital under an assumed name. Um, and while Roland is strapped to a bed, Father... Which I don't know why he decides to just put him in a hospital. I don't know if things were escalating at home or if he thought it would be safer to do the exorcism at a hospital. I'm not I really sure. I think they have the restraints. Well, yeah, but I don't know if he really, at this point, was acting so out of control that everybody was yeah he was that's one thing i they didn't really in a ward yeah so because at this point it's just like things are happening to him he isn't doing things Mm -hmm. while roland is strapped to a bed father hughes read the prayers of exorcism but it goes horribly wrong so roland slips his hands out of the restraints and grabs a bed spring from the bed and stabs the father in the arm (laughs) Gosh. According to witnesses, Roland lacerates Father Hughes' arm from shoulder to wrist, oh. requiring 100 stitches. That's And they so show many. a picture of it in the documentary, and it looks really bad, so but like, I don't know if it this... was actually his cut. I see. So, so it's, an, it's a similar injury. Yes. But, like, 100 stitches? That's, so That's wild. So, people who knew Father Hughes said that he was never the same after this, and that he had a problem with his arm for the rest of his life, so that's really sad. Um, Days after being discharged from the hospital... So, needless to say, the exorcism did not get performed. Um, Days after being discharged from the hospital, Roland was getting ready for bed and looked into the mirror and screamed. Um, there were bloody scratches that had appeared on his chest, and it looked as if they had formed the words Lewis. Hmm. His parents believed that this was a sign because they had relatives in St. Louis. Um, so in addition to Aunt Tilly, who was now deceased at this time, Roland's father also had a brother who lived in St. Louis. So, on March 8th, 1949, the family uprooted their lives and moved into... 8435 Roanoke Drive in the quiet suburb of Belnor, Missouri with the uncle and his family because I think he had, mm-hmm. he had a wife and I think at least one kid. Um, and that is about 15 minutes from where we are currently. And I will be taking a picture there for our Instagram. 
Um, and if someone yells at me, so be it. It's Halloween time. Let me do what I okay, want. Okay, it's just right there. Yes. It's so close. It is 15 minutes from here. It is on our way to get Kung Fu tea. Yeah, it is. The aunt and uncle were, were religious Catholics. Um, the family hoped that their move um, would maybe have left the evil spirit behind because maybe getting out of the house and out of the town would keep it there. Yeah. Um, but the devil reportedly follows Roland to St. Louis. Oh, Meet me no. in St. Louis. <laughs> um, the relatives were happy to help. They loved the family and they loved Roland, but they noticed that he was very different from what they were used Listen, to. Puberty is really being. rough sometimes. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> but also, puberty is apparently the time when ghosts are more likely to get attached to kids. Or is that due to a lack of understanding of puberty? Can you just get you. really confused by just people's mental well-being? I could not tell you. So, he was very different, especially at night. So, when he goes to bed, immediately things start happening. He starts screaming. The bed starts bouncing up and down. Things are flying around the room. And it terrifies Roland and the rest of the family. Um, and Roland had a cousin who was seeing everything that was going on. And she attended St. Louis University. And she was also Catholic. So, she went to She's her professor. She's going to St. Louis University. <laughs> Well, yeah, her parents are, like, extremely Catholic, but... Yeah, it's, like, it's a Jesuit... She doesn't have to be. No, but it's a, it's a Jesuit university, um, no matter what, she's immediately going to have more access than the average yeah. college student. So she went to her professor, who was Father Bishop, and she tells him that she thinks there is something spiritually wrong with her cousin, and asks him to visit her cousin. So Father Raymond Bishop agrees to meet with Roland and observes his behavior... his behavior what year is this 49 okay um march 11th 1949 father bishop arrives at the home of roland's relatives and he brings father william bownern a respected jesuit priest from saint xavier college church um okay as roland gets ready for bed father bownern reads several prayers at first, Roland seems calm, and after observing Roland for nearly an hour, the father sees no signs of demonic possession, but as soon as the priests leave, loud noises start to come from the boy's room, the bottle of holy water that was on his nightstand. I lost my place. Someone from work takes Holy water. The bottle of holy water that was on his nightstand gets thrown across the room. Roland tries to fall back asleep, and a bookcase moves on its own to block the door. Um, the priests come back and start to witness these strange things. Both priests begin to believe that he is possessed by an evil spirit, but Father Bowden doesn't know much about exorcisms, so he consults the Roman Ritual which is a 17th century manual that details the rules, prayers, and procedures of an ancient Catholic rite of exorcism. Fun. So, the exorcism, and I guess basically every exorcism, consists mainly of praying. You know, Christian science. <laughs> it, I guess it works for some. Exorcism is almost as old as religion itself. It says religion, but I'm assuming... No, there's more more than just Christianity. Oh, okay. things like exorcism. So. Okay. Well, I mean, I, the way that they're saying it is just... It seemed to be just I, it's, Christianity. It's, it's, it's part of 
most religions. I was hoping they would go more into that in the documentary, but they didn't. So that's why I was like, well, I don't want to look up exorcism. Uh How long has exorcism been going on? Because this is already super long. So, exorcism is almost as old as religion itself. The Bible contains vivid stories of Jesus performing exorcisms on the demonically possessed. There are around 125 officially appointed exorcists in the U.S. today. Fun fact. The Pope is an exorcist because he is the supreme shepherd of the church. I need to know if that's a requirement before they consider you to be the Pope. Do you have to be one of, like, the bishops or cardinals or whatever that specializes? I think you have to be able to. So cool to me. There are (laughs) examples of Pope John Paul II performing exorcisms, too. So... Who do you have to be to get the Pope to perform an exorcism on you? Someone living near, I would assume. That makes sense. Someone living near with money. I would, I just, I would think it'd be like the worst cases. I mean, probably, but I, he's so old, I don't think he would just like travel all over no, the I, world. No, I assume you would drag the person to him. You know, put him is on that, a, put him on a nine-hour plane ride. If I'm getting, um, if I'm getting exercised by anybody, it better be the Pope. Gosh, no! Can you imagine <laughs> you're flying? You, you have someone who's as possessed as. Is, is this kid flying to the Pope. Anytime he's in a place where he sleeps, everything starts to violently shake and thrash. Sleeps on the plane. The whole ride's turbulence. <laughs> I think you're just all dead at that point. I think your plane is but crashing. What, all plane turbulence is just because you have someone who's mildly Maybe possessed it on it. Maybe they briefly it fell asleep. <laughs> so Father Bowden must prove that Roland is moving down the path of full demonic possession, which this is another thing I guess I didn't really know about. I feel like I've heard about there it. There are, like, but, stages. Yeah. So. I guess I've heard about it, but I just thought, like, maybe it wasn't extreme. But if you hit, like, all four, then you get to, like, full-blown, you're taken over by a demon, basically. So, the church identifies four types of extraordinary demonic activity. There can be demonic infestation, which is the presence of evil in a location or an object. There can be demonic vexation, which somebody believes that they are experiencing physical attacks from a demon. Um, there can be demonic obsession, which are mental attacks, and then demonic possession itself, where a demon will take control of a person's body, treating that body as if it were their own. Um, so I didn't know, like, the full, like, extent of those. By all accounts, Roland exhibited the first three stages of demonic activity, so they think an exorcism will prevent him from complete diabolical possession. Mm Mm-hmm. Possession in the U.S. normally does not get as far to the fourth step. Um, most people just experience up to step, step three. Um, and I just said in the U.S. because I know there's, like, different, I don't know, different religions have different kind of possessions, so I didn't mm-hmm. want to, like, count them in with this. Um, Father Bownern contacts Archbishop Joseph Ritter. So the current pope does wow. does exorcisms but not well, on apparently. random people. Well, like who, I said, they're probably in well, the area. Well, no, he he went or to them. Or if someone's possessed and he's visiting the this area. individual had gotten thirty exorcisms by ten separate exorcists, and none of them worked. So that's why he finally went and sought out the pope. Well, bro, maybe. So yeah, it just it's just if you're extremely hmm. possessed, you can go seek out the pope, and the pope may or may not exorcise you successfully. <laughs> well, sorry to interrupt. 
That's, but I, I, I mean, you made me curious. Know, yeah. I wanted to know about these. If is it like a normal thing popes do often? <laughs> Probably not. You think we wouldn't want such frail popes if that's if they're the supreme exorcists? I don't know. I guess they're holier when they're older. I don't know. So Father Bowdern contacts Archbishop Joseph Ritter of St. Louis. Mm-hmm. He requests an exorcism to be performed on Roland, but tells the Archbishop to choose another priest um, because Father Bowdern didn't want anything to do with the exorcism. <laughs> honestly, I think. Well, it wasn't his he didn't specialty. Feel qualified, yeah, yeah, or in the right place spiritually be to like, be an exorcist. You know, a dentist saying technically, I sort of know how your foot works, but you should yeah. really go to a podiatrist. <laughs> yeah, but the Archbishop said you have to do this and requested that he did so he basically just had to do it and couldn't really say no that's so upsetting um which like okay archbishop like why don't you do it what are you so busy doing ritter (laughs) isn't that one of the hospitals that we have now cardinal ritter or some ritter something ritter's a saint louis thing isn't it i don't know there's something around here that's ritter and i don't know what it is anyway it's not the chocolate company no. The Archbishop school. grants Father Bowdern permission to perform the rite of exorcism. Father Bowdern realizes that he's about to do battle with Satan himself. Um, so, so he is stressed out. <laughs> so March 16th, well, it's, this is a quote from the documentary, obviously. Like I said, most of my notes are from the documentary. Um, March 16th, 1949, Father Bowdern arrives at the residence of Roland Doe's relatives to carry out the first exorcism. Father Raymond Bishop, did I already say that name? And Walter Halloran, a seminary student at the time, volunteered to assist with the ritual. Can you imagine being like, oh, I'll, I'll do it? Thinking it's like just some 13-year-old kid acting out and then it's the literal exorcist child. No freaking way. So, he volunteered, volunteered, if only I could speak, to assist with the ritual. Um, they were all aware of the risks because, like, obviously you can get hurt by this person. Yeah. And the devil can also take possession of them. Um, but they are all determined to purge the demon from Roland, no matter how long or at whatever cost. So... That's one thing. Drew was watching part of this, and he goes, but how can a demon possess a, a priest or, like, a father? And I was like, that's a good question, but I don't know. Don't know. Like, is know. that something that happens often? Because then like you're not holy enough or something? I don't know. Or you don't believe enough? I don't know. I don't know what is necessary to, like, bring Be on open a possession. To, yeah. yeah. I feel like being weak-minded has something to do with it. I would think, especially when it's it's someone who's getting secondary possessed during an exorcism. Yeah. Or, like, you're so scared that you've let guards down mm-hmm. that you normally have a... Yeah, I don't know. So, Father Browner approached the whole case with fear and trembling. Poor guy. The, Archbishop's instru- the Archbishop instructs the priests to maintain the utmost secrecy about, secrecy about the exorcism... But Father Bowdern insists Father Bishop keep a diary. Um, Bowdern was aware from the beginning that this was an extreme case, so he wanted to have some type of documentation as to what happened. 
Um, the idea was to take the diary and make it into a how-to manual for the next priests that also had to perform an exorcism of, mm-hmm. like, this magnitude, basically. Mm-hmm. So, in preparation, Father Bowner lays out religious items needed for the exorcism. Holy water, a crucifix, a long purple stole to wrap around the priest and the possessed, and a Roman ri- ritual. Um... Which was the official manual. Oh, yeah. That book we talked about earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Um, The exorcism is really, like I said, just a prayer to help the person get through the possession. You can't, I guess, just banish a demon. I mean, as least least (laughs) Catholic priests can't. Um, So, there is the laying of the hands on the head of the person who is possessed invoking the holy spirit and apparently breathing on the face that's Don't. how you get covid it's i read that part and i was like oh dear I, <laughs> i'd become very i'd thrash around if someone did that to me too so according to the diary which was discovered um i think i said that at the beginning uh-huh. I, okay good um according to the diary as father bowden recites the prayer in latin the priest shrieks it with horror as bloody scratches suddenly appear on Roland's body. Ew. Um, so there, here's a direct quote from the diary. These scratches cause red marks on the body and causes a small amount of blood to flow. Roland recoiled under the ev- evident pain as each mark was made. So normally manifestations will begin immediately because what the rite is doing is forcing the demon to reveal itself. Mm-hmm. Because once the demon reveals itself, then the battle against it begins. Um, so the demon that is possessing Roland refuses to reveal its identity, and the demon is pushing back in whatever way it can. So the priests see something they can hardly believe. The word help appears on the boy's chest as if being branded into his skin with a hot iron. Um, it was like words were appearing from underneath the surface. Mm-hmm. So, the priests have been observing the boy's hands the whole time and realized that there was no way he could have done it himself, to himself. Yeah. Um, and they believe that this is the devil's way of inciting terror. There have been cases in exorcisms where someone's eyes have turned green and their pupils become slanted like a serpent. And the demon said, you can't get rid of us. We've been here too long and you're not strong enough. After Ew. almost nine hours, <laughs> can you imagine? That's someone, so upsetting. That's the thing, is it's like, that's if I was so performing upsetting. an exorcism on somebody and stuff like this sort of happening, I think I would just punch them right in the face because right? I wouldn't know what else to do. And then they, like, laugh at me and I'd be like, duty, duty. Listen, you can't possess the body that's dead. <laughs> that's fact. That. <laughs> um, you want to be in here far, or not? As far as I know. We can get you somewhere else. As far fine. as I we, know. We can wheel a deal here. Like... <laughs> I'm just as crazy as you. <laughs> um, after almost nine hours of hostile resistance, Roland collapses and falls asleep. Father Bowden didn't think that Roland had been fully possessed until the exorcism had actually started. Oh, no. Um, so the priest realized that it will take more than one night to fully exorcise the demon. That sounds just exhausting. Um, and exorcisms can often go on for months. Like, normally, it will not just, one exorcism does not just, like, get rid of a demon. You just have to literally continuously have exorcisms. 
So on March 18th, the day, the third day of exorcisms, Roland spends the day acting normal and his family thinks the exorcisms are working. But then that evening, his mood suddenly changes, which it's very strange to me that like he acts up in the evenings and all this activity happens in the evenings. Like they say it happened at school a little bit, but it's like, mostly it seems like everything happens at night. Maybe. Sleepy, yeah, maybe he fell asleep at school. Maybe when he, yeah, maybe when he's sleepy, he's not repressing it as much. And <clears> it... Yeah, I'm not really sure what the whole, like, nighttime thing is because, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Something to think about. So, when the priests arrive um, to continue the exorcism rituals, Merlin transforms into a rabid creature, snarling and biting the man holding him down. Um, the father would take relics and pin them to Roland's pillow, hoping these things would have a positive influence on what was going on. And instead, he used the pins but to stab people. That's literally what I thought the first time. Oh. I was like, no. I was like, that's not second, I thought you said, safe. that's exactly no. right. I was like, oh, no. No, no. Um, so, Roland suddenly made vomiting gestures and asked for the window to be opened. And Roland said he thought the demon might be leaving him. And he threw up and said, finally, there he goes. So, as Roland falls asleep, Father Brown leaves, thinking the demon has possibly finally Instead, that was actually the rest of Roland. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Roland is gone. (laughs) Um, So, around 2 a.m., another diary quote, Roland felt strange sensation in his stomach. Because I think Bowdern left and the other two stayed. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. So, Roland felt strange sensation in his stomach. And in a few moments, he began to call out fearfully, he's coming back, he's coming back. Father Bowden was called at 3.15 a.m. So, as the exorcisms continue, eyewitnesses both in and outside of the inner circle of priests witness an otherworldly sight that rattles them to their core. On March 20th, day five, Father Halloran said he was down at the end of the bed and he was watching the bed levitate eight inches off of the floor and slam back down. What the heck? Levitation was also said to be witnessed by others outside of the his um, outside of the inner circle. His family invited scientist Frank Bubb hmm. to observe the possession, the possessed boy. Um, and Bubb had worked on the top secret Manhattan project, oh. creating the world's first atomic bomb. Uh-huh. He saw the nightstand levitate and later said something along the lines of, we still have a lot to discover regarding electromagnetism. And it's like, bro, do you really think a 13-year-old knows how to do any he of that He definitely stuff? just made an electro... Yeah, you're right. Are He's you... the one who figured it out. <laughs> so, scientists are stupid. Moving on. I just, Literally, I saw that and I was like, yes, it's the 13-year-old boy and his family. Like... And they're not trying to get, like, way, media attention hold on. on this. Like, it's not like they're trying to get famous from this. They're literally so trying to get help. That, like, they're not... That comment makes me assume he thinks it's electromagnetism causing it, but he... what? Why would it be causing it? Why is it only affecting this kid? Why does it only affect this kid certain times? Why is it following this kid? Well, like, why what is it is, the nightstand? Okay, yeah. let's say, yeah, it, maybe it's <clears throat> electromagnetism. But again, why is it attached to this child? What is electromagnetism, then? Is electromagnetism demons? <laughs> That's the conclusion that can be made off that guy's comments. I don't know my phone. Put that in your notes for a title. <laughs> what, wait, what did I say? It's electromagnetism demons. <laughs> <laughs> because is it? You tell me, scientists. Get back to me when you hear this. Even though you and dad are, I guess, scientists, technically. 
So as the exorcisms went on, Roland was becoming more volatile as they went on. Um, why did I just type that twice? Anyway, so Roland became more volatile as the exorcisms went on. So Father Bowdern and Father Bishop thought that moving him to another location might help things. Because I think at this point he's like, I have the hiccups. He's like terrorizing his family and I mean, I have to imagine the home. it's quite difficult to sleep in this house when like his bed is rattling all night. Yeah, when they're doing exorcisms for nine hours at the Yeah, night. and yeah. <laughs> so Father Browdern transfers Roland to the rectory at St. Francis Xavier College Church on the campus of St. Louis University. But Roland's outbursts draw unwanted attention, of course. Students were talking about what was going on at the rectory at night because all the lights were on, which I, I guess they, no one would stay there before. Mm-hmm. Um, and the windows were thrown open and people who were walking around at night were hearing screaming um, and animal noises and like just like unsettling things. So Roland was now showing signs of unnatural human strength. And three men could barely restrain Roland as he would swing his arms around. And he was, like, swinging his arms and fists around at one point, And he threw a punch to mm-hmm. Father Holleran's face and broke his nose. So, whenever he would get loose, he would hit people, slap people, and once, once even punch one of the priests in the groin. Hold on, which church is it that they're at? Well, the, St. Which... Francis Xavier College Church. They're the rectory for that church? <clears throat> yes. I'm just making sure it's not, like, casually the building that Grandma worked in. Because <laughs> I don't know if the rectory is still the rectory. Yeah, I don't think I have any idea. Uh, Dad might know. Um, unable to control Roland, he returns to his relative's house for five days, and it is suspiciously calm and quiet, which, like, yeah, the demon's going to play and be like, ha, oh, you did it. No, no joke, psych. Yeah. So, and then one night, Roland started to act weird again, and he wanted to write things down. So, he started writing messages and words, so the family called the priest to come over and help decipher what it all meant, because it was just, like, very strange Yeah, writing and words and, like, weird stuff just written, like, all over this giant paper. So, here's another diary quote. Um, it says, I will stay ten days, but will return after the four days are up. I am the devil himself. That's what he, like, Roland had written down, apparently. I I like the idea that, um, so he's going to be there only for ten days, because he really doesn't have time to be there longer, because, like, honestly, it's not that important, but, like, he needs to make a point. <laughs> That's well, how I interpret that. I know, I I kept reading that, and I was like, this makes no sense. It's like, it's like, the devil knows that he's bigger and better than this kid, but also knows, like, he needs, this is a great opportunity to, like, reinforce... I really His do be power. having some errands to run, so... Yeah. Like, I have more important I'll things to do. You know, like, I have to run hell, so... Uh, I'll check back. <laughs> they didn't know what this meant and thought maybe it meant that he would only be possessed for ten more days, which, hello, that's... No, just by the devil himself, not, obviously. That doesn't seem right. Um, but on August 1st, on day 17, after over a dozen exorcisms, Father Bowdern suggests that Roland should be baptized as a Catholic. That was the issue all along. Smart move, <laughs> I guess. After you've already seen what he's done with all this other stuff you have. Anyway, 
On a drive to the church for the baptism, Roland goes into a fit of rage and leaps to the front seat and tries to grab the steering wheel, saying, You're going to try to baptize me? You're going to try to offer me communion? It's not going to work. Which I feel like I relate to that. If mm-hmm. I was, if someone wanted me to be a Catholic. Anyway. <laughs> and. <laughs> I was going to forcibly baptize So his me. uncle was driving the car and his aunt was in the passenger seat. And so his uncle had to pull over the car to control him because he's just like acting like a psychopath. Obviously. And yeah. so Roland curses and spits. It's like, I guess eventually they calm him down. Someone's restraining him. Whatever. They eventually get him to the church. And as as he's dragged into the church, he curses and spits and just is not having it. Father Bowdern demands Roland to renounce Satan, but he slips deeper into his possession possessed state and is repulsed by the holy water. Me too, germs, bro. Everybody got their little hands in there. You know those little dipping trays they got? Mm-hmm. Everybody got their hands in that. Yep. Anyway. Have you seen the um, the new dispensers that they have for holy water? Some no. Some places where they literally like hand sanitizer but it's that like holy is water. <laughs> but then you're touching it. This still, still it's all dirty. I'm, if you're touching the outside that. of it to get yes. it. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. It still might be holy but it doesn't kill A little bit cleaner. <laughs> so... He is fighting and kicking, so they do a shortened version of the baptism ritual just to get it done. Which, you know, maybe you should have just done the whole thing because maybe that would have helped if he was fully baptized and mm-hmm. not half be baptized. Um, so, Father Bowdern, after this, and like no signs of anything getting better mm-hmm. happens, he suggests that the family return to Maryland and he says that he will go there to help them get him treated and like find a new um priest to do it and find a hospital that would actually like be good for him to stay at because Mm -hmm. he thinks just being in their home state would help because he i think at this point he just doesn't know what else to do yeah he's probably tired of being in this yeah it's been like almost a full month he just wants to go home it's fair (laughs) um let's see so they do all go to Maryland, and he does try to find a hospital, but literally nobody wants to help him. They heard what happened with the priest getting stabbed in the arm, and they've heard, I would assume, everything that's been happening here in St. Louis, and so they decide they don't want well, to take and him and help him. Not to mention, he's I do not specifically know Maryland's um, Catholic numbers, but I do know St. Louis is a very Catholic city, so if you weren't getting the help you needed in a very catholic city like we have an entire basilica yeah there are probably then, i don't know what else like you needed to go to boston or yeah. something because unless there's a, again maybe it's an unknown extremely catholic community and not not unknown unknown to me very catholic community in maryland and i'm just unaware of it but like you were in a catholic stronghold essentially yeah, but they're also the making the guy who doesn't feel qualified enough to do it do this yeah stuff this so is also true help. So, Father Browner decides that their only option is to go back to the Midwest and try to find somewhere there Are they going back to the Midwest? to help him. Yeah, so they had to go back because nobody would help. Oh, wait. oh, because they went nobody to Maryland. Wanted to help no one Maryland. would help them. Now they have to go back to the Midwest. So, once back in St. Louis, Roland is admitted to the psych ward at the Alexian Brothers Hospital, which was run was that the one across from by the zoo? an ancient order of Catholic monks. <gasps> That's so fun. It's torn down now, so I don't know... 
it's yeah, location, know, but, but you can Google it I and find know, out. I want to know. I want to know. I'm so the brothers were known for taking care of the extreme cases of the physical and mental illness. I'm not sure if it also meant like extreme, like possessed people. But here, Roland could be on his own in private and everything could be kept secret. Not like secret from like the world, but like he wouldn't be disturbed on a college gosh. campus. Yeah, you, you know, know, that's helpful. Like he was. Or like other hospital people, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, because the brothers were like really well known for keeping their secrecy mm-hmm. and for, I guess, anything. Um, in 2014, they were able to interview brother Greg Holwinski, mm-hmm. um, who was an Alexian monk who had never talked about his participation in the exorcism, but he was dying of cancer and wanted to tell his story. Mm-hmm. So, um, here's his direct quotes. The first night I went in there, um, there was a boy laying in bed. There were three priests that were the exorcists. During the prayers for the possession, the priest wore the stole. It's a fine silk ribbon. The devil, using the boy's hands, reached over and snatched that silk cloth, and within a split second, it was a thousand, a thousand threads. You could feel the power of the devil. They saw the boy's body levitate. I was at the foot of the bed and had my arms crossed over him, over from his ankle to his knee. I was frightened. When I saw his, when I, what I saw was real. What I touched was real. It was an experience that I would never forget. Anybody with common sense just walk in seeing that knows that couldn't be faked. After the second night, the boy and the devil had possession of him. Suddenly, the devil threw his decanter and it crashed into a thousand pieces. I've been through storms, hurricanes, tornadoes, and whatnot, and this thing was the worst. So, that's um, the secret monk story. Um, a few days before Fine. Easter, Father Halloran took Roland, Roland to um, the White House Retreat Center, which is on a high bluff overlooking the Mississippi River. He thought that fresh air might help Roland. Um... The grounds include statues depicting the Stations of the Cross, which I did not have a clue what this was, which is apparently the path Jesus endured on the way Mm -hmm. to his crucifixion. Um, This path went along the bluff, and Roland seemed to be be very interested in the stations. When they got to the 14th station, where Jesus is being placed into the tomb, Roland goes into a rage and starts running straight towards the edge of the cliff. Father Roland, or who took him? Father Halloran. Oh, I'm reading the second paragraph, the second sentence below it. I was like, I did not say Father Roland. So (laughs) Father chases after him and tackles him to the ground. Roland comes out of his rage and didn't even know what was happening. So the devil tried to just straight up kill him, which it's like, what do you get out of that? Um, another mm. soul for hell. But he's a 13-year-old boy. Yeah, you think there's more effective ways to get souls for hell than individually possessing people? Go possess prisoners or something? I don't or know. just, like, make sin more fun. It's <clears throat> already pretty entertaining. I, I don't <laughs> know. So, on day 32, a monk places a statue of St. Michael, the archangel, in Roland's room. 
St. Michael symbolizes protection from evil forces, and prayers that were dedicated to St. Michael seemed to be particularly effective. Mm-hmm. Um, Roland seemed to be, like, really reacting in a different way when these prayers were happening. Yeah. So, on April 18th, day 34, it had officially been one month since his first exorcism, Father Bowdern uses every weapon in his holy arsenal to exorcise the demon. So, Roland complains that the religious medals around his neck burn his skin, but Father Bowdern refuses to remove them. Instead, he forces a crucifix into Roland's hand, I like to think which that makes him go into convulsions. I was like, they were made of nickel, and he was just, like, terribly allergic. <laughs> He's having a straight-up allergic reaction. Um, Roland becomes more violent and screams, and his father Bowden demands to know who's inside of Roland. Here's a diary quote. The demon speaks through Roland. He has to say one word, one little word. I mean, one big word. He'll never say it. I am always in him. I may not have much power always, but I am in him. He will never say that word. So the demon is saying he won't leave until... Roland says a certain word. Mm-hmm. Um, diary quote. Roland was in a seizure but lay calm in clear commanding tones and with dignity. A voice broke into prayers. Satan, Satan, I would seek Michael and I command you, Satan, and the other devil spirits to leave the body in the name of Dominus immediately. Now, now, now. Father Bowner then realizes Dominus, or Dominus, I don't know how they say it in the documentary, I don't, I'm not a Catholic, mm-hmm. I don't know these things, um, is the word that the devil claims Roland would never say, and Dominus is the Latin word for Lord. Mm-hmm. So, suddenly, <laughs> which me and Drew were watching this part of the documentary, and, document- <laughs> and Drew goes, is Dominus a devil? <laughs> He was like, is that some, like, evil spirit or something? Like, and if I you was say like, the name oh, of the devil, know. does it now have to leave, that's like, what, That's Stiltskin? what we thought, like, <laughs> yeah, that's what we thought, like, if you discover the name, then you can, like, find the weakness or whatever, because I yeah. would assume, you know, Catholics, I don't know what they do, but me and him were both like, oh, Dominus, is that, like, a new devil creature? <laughs> like, I don't... <laughs> so, suddenly, Roland erupts and experiences the most violent convulsions of the entire period of exorcisms. And Roland claims to have had a prophetic vision. He envisioned himself outside of a cave um, with an angel with a flaming sword that he believed was St. Michael. And he sees him with a sword and pitchfork pushing these demons back into the fiery pit of hell. But St. Michael smiles at Roland and says the word Dominus. So. How nice. That's a nice ending that I don't think we really have in the movie. Yeah, I don't think we get that, uh, we don't get that, that in the movie at all. No, I don't think so. No one fell down the stairs and died? I'm pretty sure that happens in the movie. I think it does. I don't remember. I've only watched it, like, one time when I was, like, To be fair, 12. though, the, uh, the, uh, <clears throat> spring ripping down the Yeah, that guy's happens, arm. doesn't it? I don't remember. I feel like it does. I think it does. Why would you not include that? Because that's a good one. Unless that's they didn't know tidbit. it. Yeah. That's possible they didn't know it, but. Um, well, like I said, the diary didn't come out, but that wasn't in the diary because that I wasn't, it that was. happened in St. Louis. So after several minutes of convulsions, Roland relaxes and becomes still. Um, here's a diary quote. After seven or eight minutes of violence, Roland, in a tone of complete relief, says, he's gone. And immediately Roland came back to normal, apparently. 
don't even so, know. So, well, because he acts normal during the day. You're right. And then possessed at night. Yeah. So, he looked up at the priest and said, it's over. Father Bowdern was not sure that it was truly over. Um, Fair. So, he prayed for a sign to be sent so that he would know it really had come to an end. And then suddenly, there was a massive boom that shook the building. Um, and moments after this, priests report an image of St. Michael illuminating the dome above the altar at nearby St. Francis Xavier College Church. So, Father Bowder knew that this was the sign that he had been waiting for, and it was really over. That was the end of the exorcisms. Um, hospital staff members tell stories of strange occurrences during the week of exorcism rituals, like, I think the last week. Mm-hmm. Um, they say that there were loud noises and names being yelled down corridors, horrible odors. Ew. And a significant cold air in the room and, like, surrounding areas. Uh-huh. And other reports that there were reoccurring electrical po- problems on the floor. Um, so... Um, Father Bowdern, like, didn't really think it was over until after, like, that prayer thing, just because mm-hmm. of how that one time when he threw up and said, like, he thought it was over, but it really wasn't. Yeah, there's was that four-day break that was taken And because that, like, happens and... a lot with possession, they yeah. try and, like, trick you. Let your guard down. Yeah. And so, okay, so. After this, Roland stayed in St. Louis for a couple of weeks, and then he and his parents returned home to Maryland. He did contact Father Bowdern one last time. He wrote him a letter, um, told him how happy he was, how he was back in school, that he had just gotten a new dog, and things seemed to be going okay for him. So, the Catholic Church refuses to confirm or deny Roland Doe was a genuine case of demonic possession. There were 48 eyewitnesses who signed off on this file reporting that these occurrences did occur. So, mm-hmm. I mean, 48's a lot of people. Um, the priests believe this was an undisputed case of demonic possession and Bowdern did not speak of it until his dying days. Um, the final report of the exorcism is locked away in the Roman Catholic archives. I wouldn't know what else they have in there. I know, right? All the pedos. All the pedophiles. All just like the, the blatantly erased history. Yes. Um, Roland remained Catholic and went to a Catholic high school, Gonzaga Prep. He marries and has several children and apparently named his first child Michael after St. Michael, which that's very cute to me. Um, he did very well, went to college and became a literal rocket scientist. (laughs) Um, he went to work part-time with NASA and he has, um, a couple patents for scientific devices in his name, including shielding they used on rockets. Electromagnetic. So, I know, maybe he he was, maybe this was was all fake and that scientist was on it the whole time. (laughs) We don't know anything about electromagnetism. (laughs) Not in this NASA household. (laughs) So he lived a very full and long life, and the real Ronald Doe is now in his 80s, possibly 90s, um, and was never, has never spoken publicly about this event. And, I mean, I think it's weird that you kind of never would ever release anything about it happening, Mm -hmm. but a lot of people say that 
if you are truly demonically possessed in that, like, form, you don't even have a recollection of anything that's going on during that time at all. Um, like, you might know what's going on during the days when you feel fine, but then when you actually get, like, taken over at night or whatever it Mm -hmm. is that's happening, you just don't even, you don't have any recollection. Yeah. I think you just feel sick the whole time. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, you know something's wrong. You don't remember what's happening to yeah. cause that issue, though. Yeah. Okay. So, in 1978, the psychiatric wing of the Alexian Brothers Hospital is scheduled to be torn down. But before leveling the building, construction workers make a discovery. The construction crew found a particular room that was locked, so a priest had to unlock it so they could remove any furniture that was inside the room. Mm-hmm. And inside, they found a desk, and inside of this desk was this booklet that had been put together and had mentioned an exorcism. Hold on, is it that booklet that that guy wanted to make while he was doing... that it had been a copy of Father Bishop's diary of the exorcism. Ah. And that's how the story eventually became public. I see. And why we know these details. You can actually find it online. I didn't... I could not have read that, but... Yeah. Found it online. No one knows what happened to the furniture in the room. One story states the furniture was sold to a nearby nursing home. And other accounts detail the priest ordered crews to lock it in a crate and put it in the basement of the church. Mm-hmm. Where they still believe it still, like, remains to this day. Yeah. So, crews that demolished the hospital claimed they encountered all kinds of difficulties on the job site. They even said they have an extremely hard time controlling the wrecking ball. And at one point, it hit the new building. <laughs> so, spooky. Mm-hmm. Um, Stephen Lachance was investigating the case and says that he discovered a possible conspiracy in the case. This seemed like total crap to me, but, you know, what do I know? Um, it was at literally the last, like, two minutes of the documentary. They were mm-hmm. just throwing it in to make him happy. <laughs> Um, he claims that an unnamed church official provided him access to a medical facility near the old Alexian Brothers Hospital. Mm-hmm. He says he was taken to a hospital and was taken through security to an elevator and they got off on the third or fourth floor. Don't know why you can't remember because that's not very hard to tell, I guess. Um, it was completely empty and they walked up to a door and he doesn't say why. But he just says he went straight to a certain door. Mm -hmm. So this is already seeming fishy to me. And he says that he tried to open it, but they stopped him and said, you can't open it. And he asked why. And they said, put your ear to the door. So he did. And he heard things being crashed against the wall. And they asked, do you know where you are? And they said, this is the place where the priest stayed. (laughs) So, for decades, roommates, um, roommates, what am I on? For decades, rumors persist that once the devil left Roland Doe, that it must have possessed someone else. Um, and Stephen believes that the demon went from Roland into a priest. Mm-hmm. And that they housed the priest in a hospital until, until their death in, apparently, 1983. Why would you know the year of this man's death if you don't even have a clue who he is? Right. And they're not even telling you anything other than this is where a priest stayed who was possessed. Yeah, that makes no sense to me. Anyway, so he thinks that the building he was taken to is where he believes the priest took his own life, essentially for the child. Like, he didn't kill himself, but Mm -hmm. he sacrificed himself Mm -hmm. for the child. It seems like a lot of crap to me. 
But like I said, what do I know? Also, no, is there why, even another medical building over there? Because they tore it down and turned it into a parking lot, so I really don't think they, there they, is. They tore down the old one and built a new one. They tore the old down down for the sake of the new one. Yeah, I, I looked then, that up. <laughs> but then why would... I don't know. It just doesn't seem right to me. Also, so the demon possessed another guy. And now what? The demon possesses the room? And, but also... What's being crashed around in there? Because this guy they wouldn't have... So- they feed somebody else to it? That's why I'm like, ah, like, this seems like some bull crap to me. Anyway, something... Or, that really truly did happen. There was some construction going on in that room, and they were just messing with them. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Prank. Some think maybe William Blatty knew this, like, what, this conspiracy before writing the movie scene, where the priest takes the demon into his own body and then ends his life. Mm-hmm. But also, like, this, I don't think this priest killed himself, Mm-mm. from all accounts. No, and, like, well, when was this guy doing this research? Pre or post movie? Post, because this guy was only, like, 40 years old. Okay, so now he's looking for that ending, essentially. He's he's creating a self-fulfilling prophecy. Well, and it's also, prophecy. like, okay, so if this priest did get possessed, why wouldn't they also try to exercise this priest? Yeah, why would they just let him... Be possessed for the rest of his life? That's, it's just... It's just a little too much for me. That doesn't make sense to me. So, the stories that I've heard growing up around here, where the actual exorcism and the devil left the the child, apparently, um, was that the exorcism was held on the 13th floor of the hospital. I don't think there was 13 floors. Which, huh? I don't think there were 13 floors. Well, that's the thing. I'm saying this is what I've heard as our Halloween, like, spooky. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah folk connecting it to ourselves yeah so it was held on the 13th floor of the hospital and after the boy left the hospital the room was sealed off for years as well as that whole entire 13th floor um and it was shut down for the rest of the time that the hospital was open Mm -hmm. which like i said that's just some folklore from here yeah um what else was i gonna say and, like I said, I don't know if that's actually true, but I do know that after he was exercised and left the hospital, that room... only had four floors. Yeah. <laughs> that room was sealed off for the rest mm-hmm. of that hospital being open. I mean, that makes sense. Just in case. You never know. <laughs> um. So, now the cross that was on top of the hospital at the time of the exorcism is in the city museum. Yeah! I was going to um, say, that's what I thought they would have, were going to, like, find for some reason in that room. It was, like, and then the cross <laughs> no, no. that they took off the top of the building <laughs> and used in the exorcism. In yeah. No. Um, also, ghost adventures have gone to the exorcist house, and they claim that they talked to a real demon there, but I remember that episode, and I was so disappointed, because it was a Halloween mm-hmm. special, I'm pretty yeah. sure. We were like, oh, St. Louis, so exciting. Boring. It was yeah. a lame episode. I was like, um, a, a normal family cannot possibly live there and also have these things going on. That, yeah. No. That house <laughs> has been around too long for people to still be getting possessed by the devil in that house. If you really think it's still there. Because also, the, exorc- like, the final exorcism happened at a hospital, so why would it go back to that house? Like, Especially anyway. when it wasn't, it's, that wasn't like Great Aunt Tilly's house or anything like no, that. No, that that's the thing. It was just a random yeah. family member's home. Anyway. It would make more um, sense that it would go back to the Maryland home or Aunt Tilly's home. That is the real life story of the actual exorcist. That inspired the movie The that, Exorcist. Yeah, the exorcism that inspired the movie. Um, anything else to add? I can't believe we've never driven by it. I know. <laughs> I know. And I can't, because I remember mentioning that once to Dad, and he goes, oh yeah, I've been there. And I'm like, we're like, 
sir, why haven't you, you casually taken us? Life? So have we, basically. Yeah. But yeah, so that is the story. And... Let's see. I was going to say something. <laughs> just, just apologize for not being regular anymore. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we're going to hopefully get back to yeah. it very Force soon. ourselves to have a more strict schedule. But here's like an hour and a half, two hour long episode for you. Enjoy. Um, clearly don't mess with Ouija boards. <laughs> and try not to kill anyone. Bye. Bye.